The Mix Room with Genelec. Today we're welcoming Dave Porter onto the podcast, acclaimed for his work across the entirety of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul and El Camino, and who has most recently lent his composing talents to Marvel's newest series, Echo. Welcome back, Dave. Lovely to speak to you again. How are you doing today? Doing great. Wonderful to be with you, Alice. Good, good. Yeah, lovely to catch up. We were just saying off air for the benefit of uh, any listeners. We last spoke about Better Call Saul, which was the last big project I interviewed you about. So it feels like a lot's happened since then. I'm sure you've been doing a lot of projects. But, um, you know, obviously you're you're talking about Echo today, which is the new Marvel series. But is this your first uh, project since all the Vince Gilligan projects? Or have you been doing other things in between then as well? Uh, for the most part, this is the next thing that came along. Definitely last year with the end of Better Call Saul, uh, and also the end of a 10 year run on a show called The Blacklist was a, a, a sort of a, a big sea change for me. I've had the, the bl- good blessing of having worked for such a long time on the same projects that I haven't been out there looking for new stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this, this past year, uh, was in a, uh, a great chance for me to hit the reset button and, uh, and uh, really try to push myself uh, uh, to try something new. And that's definitely what we did with Echo. Yeah, absolutely. It couldn't really be more different from the Breaking Bad universe. Was it at all difficult to get your mindset out of that sort of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul way of thinking of approach to music? Or was it quite easy? Uh, it was tricky in in some ways, um, but I think the fact that I was really looking for something new uh, and looking to ha- open my eyes to different ways of working and working with different people um, made me primed and ready to do it. Uh, so I was definitely up up for the challenge, uh, but no question, working uh, on a, a big project like this with a big entity like marvel uh very different from working from the the small group of creatives that i've worked with previously on shows like better call saul and breaking bad Mm. and delving into the mcu universe no less i mean it's huge of course like there's that saying and the fans are extremely invested in this universe so (laughs) i'm guessing was there a lot of pressure with this to get it right (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm used to the rabid fans. I will say for, from from working on the Vince Gilligan stuff, but this is a, it is a, it is on a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I honestly, I, I I tried my best to tune that out. Uh, I'm not personally uh, have have not been uh, an uber Marvel person. So I'm first thing I told them in the interview when I spoke to the folks at Marvel was just know. Uh, that that I'm coming into this uh, a bit ignorant about the the overall universe. I know a little bit, but certainly not a lot. Uh, and they're okay with that, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, for me, I really tried to uh, approach this uh, as a standalone project, and I think that's a little bit how they wanted to approach it, anyways. Mm. So it really worked out uh, to my advantage in that sense that I didn't have to for example, go back and uh, watch 47 Marvel movies to understand what's going on here. Uh, The truth is that this was always designed to be a a standalone show with a relatively uh, new character for the universe uh, that has her own story uh, and that you don't need a lot of 
previous knowledge to follow it or have a good time watching it. I see. And um, so it's the origin story. I've been looking it up today and for anyone listening doesn't know of uh, Maya Lopez. Uh, so, um, you know, this is a spin-off series of Hawkeye. So did you have to binge watch that as research at least to get up to speed or did you just approach it as a complete standalone thing? I did watch uh, just the parts of Hawkeye in which she appears so that I could understand how she's introduced to the universe. Um, but in talking to them, uh, to the Marvel folks, um, it was agreed that this show was going to have an entirely new tone for her anyways, mm. uh, and be very centric on her. Uh, so there wasn't too, too much that I needed to reference there. Okay. And, um, for fans of the, this will obviously know, but for anyone that doesn't, the character is born deaf and that's obviously quite a key part to her identity and the way she experiences the world. So how did this factor into the score, if at all? Cause I know obviously it will play into the sound design definitely, but was there anything that affected the way you approached the music? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one that I didn't really even see coming, to be honest, when I started working on the series, uh, as, as you point out, I thought, oh, we're going to do some great stuff where we move into her point of view uh, and we drop out the sound so we can get a sense of just where she is in her headspace, right? And, and how she's uh, hearing, not hearing, but mm. how she's, you know, as I was saying, how she's experiencing yeah. the moments that we're watching with full sound, of course. I knew we would do that. Uh, and I think we did that sparingly enough that that it works very well but the part that surprised me uh and was an interesting challenge was that in all of the scenes uh where the characters are utilizing sign language obviously there's no dialogue sound Uh, and so it creates in particular these very intense scenes that we have that are that involve very intense discussions between two characters who are signing to each other, uh, more space than I'm used to sonically, Mm. uh, to use for scoring the show. Uh, and it was, you know, one of the first tenets that (laughs) you learn as a film composer is to stay out of the way of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And, and so this created this, this landscape for me that was, that I was unused to. And the trick there, I think, was filling that space uh, in a way that for those who uh, are hearing-abled, it gives you a little more license for drama and a little more uh, help driving those scenes without being distracting from from the conversation. Uh, and it was uh, it was an interesting challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. And what about in terms of where you started from in terms of how you wanted the series to sound in terms of the score? Did the director have something in mind? Was it left up to you, a combination of both or Hmm. other? Uh, We certainly had a a lot of discussions about it, uh, working with uh, Sidney Freeland, the director, uh, and uh, all the amazing producers on the show to give a sense of what we wanted to do. But I think it was pretty clear you know from from the get-go we were really looking for something that of course uh is going to be identifiable in the marvel universe as you know a score and the Mm -hmm. scope uh 
and the scale of of music that people who are fans of this kind of project are used to. Uh, but that still um, had enough flexibility in it that it could be very personal. Mm. Uh, so because for me, the show really pivots uh, around the 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 dichotomies of uh, a couple of things that happen in in the series. There's the difference between her as a New Yorker and her returning to her roots in the middle of the country in Oklahoma. Obviously, very different settings. And you've got her two families. You've got her New York crime family under which she grew up, and her actual blood family, um, who is far far from that. Uh, and so. The ability to be able to move back and forth between those two worlds was something that that we certainly wanted to accomplish, and and of course involved in that um, is trying to include uh, in an appropriate way um, music from her Native American heritage. Yeah, interesting that you mentioned that because I read that the team behind Echo worked with the. Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma to make sure the show felt authentic to the community. Um, so how does the music reflect that Native American authenticity for you? And how did you approach that? Yeah, to be honest, I could never have done the score in the way that I did it without an incredible amount of help from, from the liaisons that we had uh, with the Choctaw Nation. Uh, and the artists through them, the artists that I got to meet and, and work with. Uh, so very, very early on in the project, and one of the things that really excited me about working on the project was that I had a bunch of time at the beginning before I really started work uh, just to do research uh, and learn a lot more than I already knew, which wasn't much, uh, about Native American music and particularly the music from the Choctaw Nation's history. Mm. Uh, and uh, some of my very earliest recording sessions um were uh, in Dallas, Texas, which is a, you know, a reasonable drive from Oklahoma, uh, where I have a really good friend who has a studio. And through the folks that, that Marvel uh, had contact with in the Choctaw Nation, uh, they were able to hook me up with some, uh, introduce me to some great musicians uh, and chanters uh, who had a great historical, not only a great historical knowledge, but of course a great musical ability as well. Uh, and, uh, the whole process for me, and I'm still learning, uh, of course, but, uh, has been a great adventure in learning, uh, as much about that music as I can and the process of figuring out how, um, it works best, uh, combined with a modern score. Okay. And, um, were, were there any particular instruments that you had to become familiar with, or perhaps did you have to hire any, um, you know, musicians to play in a native American style or any kind of instruments that are related to that? <clears throat> yeah, we certainly had a, a lot of, uh, uh, native American percussion that I recorded and sampled and then played into the score um, likewise with uh, Native American wind instruments, uh, flutes in particular, um, all you know some custom-made instruments made by made by and performed by uh, the, the folks who actually made them, uh, which mm -hmm. was which was really cool and, and fun. Um, but I think what most people will 
hear in the score mostly uh, or no, take notice of as the most striking um, are um, a group of uh, folks from the Choctaw Nation who perform original chants uh, that date back hundreds and hundreds of years uh, to the history of, of the, the Choctaw Nation and their move from, from the Gulf Coast region of, of the U.S. to, to Oklahoma uh, under, obviously, horrendous conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole, whole legacy of, of that music. And very early on, I'll, it's a long story, I'll try to keep it short, but in my learning about all of this music, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to do was record some of those um, traditional chants, and, and we did do that. Um, but then as I got to know uh, these chanters and, and how talented they were, um, it dawned on me then that rather than utilize something, of course, that to them is is important to their culture and hundreds of years old, um, there there was an opportunity here to create uh, a new chant based on, on that historical, uh, those historical ideas, but unique to our show. Uh, and so that's ultimately what, what we ended up doing. I had actually very little hand in it other than to sit there and guide them through the process mm. uh, a little bit. But we, we, we worked together in the middle of, of, uh, of the studio and Dallas and, and came up with, uh, uh, a, a really cool, I think, uh, chant that centers around the power of Choctaw women and, and their their the strength that they have, um, which has enabled the Choctaw nation to survive and flourish. Sur- excuse me, flourish, <clears throat> especially through those incredibly difficult times. Uh, and that chant uh will appear on the soundtrack as its as its own piece for people to hear but it's also embedded in a lot of places in my score uh and 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 we used it uh, i think sparingly but appropriately uh in moments where uh maya who's echo our main character um draws her power and her strength from her heritage and her lineage Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Is the chant used in the trailer at all? I thought I heard some something like that in there when I watched uh, that. No, oh, I didn't. I wasn't responsible for the music in the trailer. Oh, I don't think. <laughs> wasn't I sure if there know. was something borrowed or reflected I, in there. I know yeah, they sometimes yeah. use different um, people for that, which is always they bizarre do. to me. Why do they not use the the same composer for the trailer? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> But, but usually, to, in fairness, and usually when they when it's time for them to make those trailers, is would be the absolute worst moment to ask a composer <laughs> to, to help them because we're right in the throngs of you know as as you know composers are last in the process yeah. of the creation of a TV show or a film and so usually when they're when they finally get around to thinking about those things it's it's a terrible time to ask the composer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long did you have uh, for this one? How much notice were you given? <laughs> Oh, this was, I mean, compared to uh, most things that I get to work on, this was luxurious in the amount of time that we had to work on it. Uh, I had months and months and months and, um, you know, just a, a fantastic, you know, the great thing about working, obviously, uh, for a company like Marvel are, are the resources behind them. And I don't necessarily mean that financially, although that's nice too. Yeah. you know, to be able to afford the orchestra and the 80 person choir and all those great things but also you know um marvel has a tremendous 
staff of people who know so much about doing music for a Marvel project. Uh, and uh, there's just a, a great camaraderie there. And they were very welcoming to me. And uh, uh, certainly as we were finding our way, it was great, great, great to have them and their support. Mm, okay, good. Good to hear they were well, so resourceful with a lot of resources as well. So, of course. So what about <laughs> yeah. um, what about the a scene to score? Did you have a favorite cue or a particular moment that you thought, oh, now I've seen it to picture this works really well? Hmm. Yeah, there is uh, there are a few, uh, but one, one of the great, I think, strengths of the show uh, is are some of the, the set piece action moments. Mm. Uh, and there's one that I, I particularly enjoyed, um, which things have moved around, but I believe it's in the second episode, um, with, involves uh, uh, some fighting and, and, and uh, some espionage, if you will, uh, on a moving train. Uh, okay. And that was a, a, a particularly lengthy sequence uh, that we worked really hard on, but I, I uh, am proud of how it came out, and, uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it given that it's going to be on Disney Plus and Hulu, people aren't going to the cinema as much these days. You know, I'm, it's sort of guaranteed that a lot of people are going to be watching this and experiencing your music again, which, of course, you're no stranger to. So um, do you ever get used to that? Um, no, I don't think you can ever wrap your head around <laughs> that kind of thing, really, honestly. I mean, it, occasionally, uh, you know, I'll get a, an email or, or someone... Will, will reach out to me some from some far flung part of the world, uh, and and ask me an obscure question about a scene I've long forgotten from Better Call Saul, for mm -hmm. example, or something. And it's it's just a, a, it's just mostly stunning to me in that I just I, I that someone in that far flung part of the world had even watched it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you know, it took the time to digest the fact that there was music in it and uh, and had a question about it. Uh, so, yeah, it, obviously, <clears throat> I, I feel so blessed to get to do this work uh, and in a, in a small way be a part of these projects that are um, are conversation pieces and 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 uh points of enjoyment for for people all over the place and uh, it's it's it is it is a special thing and I, I try never to forget that yeah well i think you can i can tell you sound genuine it's nice to hear that you've got so much pride in your work and that you still enjoy it just as much as before and I do. Um, i'm curious about do you ever look at the comments online because i know people are always commenting when the soundtrack drops and this and that uh -huh. and under the youtube video do you ever have a sneaky look I honestly, I learned long ago from Vince Gilligan never to do that. <laughs> and it's wise. It's wise. I mean, I, I get enough of that just from from my own meager social media posts that I, you know, I do mostly just to promote the shows that I'm working on and get enough feedback that way and, and the people who reach out to me. But uh, to be honest, I, I think that for me, at least, particularly, um, even if it was praise, uh, it would probably do me more harm than good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think you've got the sense for to start to start my brain worrying about uh, <laughs> what what folks think about that. Uh, and 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 one of the beauties of being, you know, working in a collaborative process as I do, and, and having worked for 
you know, some, some really creative people um, is that uh, at the end of the day, if the person whose vision for the project uh, is pleased with how the music helps them tell their story, um, that's really the only person or people uh, that I, that I worry about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I sleep, I sleep great at night <laughs> I'm sure either way, as long as they're the ones that are pleased. <laughs> yeah. That's very sensible, Dave. Very sensible indeed. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, another thing our listeners and viewers, uh, like hearing a little bit about is, uh, the tech sort of behind the scenes of, you know, composers studios, what goes in to the things that we see on TV and hear and the music and all that. So I know that you're a Genelec monitor user. So what do you have in your home studio? I have a pair of Genelec monitors I've owned for 20 years, and uh, they're, I think they're 1031As um, that, uh, that I, I, I don't know what I would do without, to be honest. I, I do. I've used them all the time. When I go to other studios, I always request them because my ears are just used to them, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I, and I do love them. Um, for this project in particular, I did a lot of uh, recording of orchestras in other parts of the world from my studio here in LA, uh, and which is not ideal, but it is the the sort of the reality of how things get recorded a lot these mm-hmm. days. And uh, never before, I think, has the the need for for the monitoring situation in my room been more important. Uh, than than listening critically to you uh, know an orchestra that that we're paying a lot of money for uh, on the other side of the world uh, to be able to really hear what we're getting mm. uh, than it was for me on this project and sometimes that meant because I was working with Europe you know four three in the morning uh, so uh, I, I relied on them more than ever uh, and um, yeah just uh, just a staple of 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 the things that are important to me in my studio and honestly the best blessing about them is that i've used them for so long i just don't think about them Mm. oh that's fantastic well i'm glad they're still right there by your side and they're working with you always good to know um so what about if you're allowed to say dave i'm sure you've got another project in the works i know obviously the new show is literally just launched but uh, i'm sure you've got your uh eyes ahead on the next project obviously don't break any ndas (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I can I can mention offhand particularly, okay. but uh, yeah, we're we're in a strange moment here. I think for uh, people in my position, last year, as everybody knows, was a topsy turvy year with the strikes and and mm. and the labor uh, discussions that needed to happen. Understandably, last year, and because uh, people like me who work at the end, tail end of post. Um, were working as I was on this project during those strikes. Uh, we, uh, many of us have now reached the point where we've run out of that content that was already made before the strike. Right. Uh, and so now there's a the little hole here while we're waiting for production to catch up back around to us. Uh, so actually I have a few weeks off uh, before I start my next thing, which I'm going to very much enjoy. <laughs> okay, oh, I'm sure and, it's something big. I can't wait to hear about it. As yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and then yeah, we're then we're then before I know it, we'll be into the next thing. 
I'm sure you will. Well, enjoy this time off then. You might look back and think, God, I should have made more of it, you know, uh, that little As, break in between. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try to dig into it this time. Okay, well, <laughs> you enjoy. Uh, well, always lovely to talk to you, Dave. Thank you so much for catching up again. And yes, I do genuinely look forward to hearing about what you do next and catching up about the next one. I'm looking forward to it too. Always a great pleasure to speak with you, Alice. Oh, thank you. And you. All right. I'm going to let you get on with your day and look forward to your uh, holiday, unless you're already on it. And um, I'll speak to you again sometime. Yes. Looking forward. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.